Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for people who love them some Bible. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch, one of those people who love them some Bible. Absolutely. This week we're bringing you Bible insights on Genesis 17, the first reading for February 28th, 2021. And Rachel's up this week for walking us through the text. Okay, hit us. It's appropriate that you'd say hit us because we've got a hene in this text, Tim. Uh, yeah. We've got a, a little Hebrew word, one of Tim's favorites that we've talked about before. Um, and since I know it's one of your favorite words, do you want to remind our listeners about what it means that this text starts off with a hene? Yeah, yeah. Hene is uh, what you say when you're um, like dropping something in somebody's lap. <laughs> Here, take this. Here you go. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Hine, here you go. Hine, here you go. And what God drops in Abraham's lap is a promise and a promise that has a couple of interesting little aspects to it. Um, one of those little aspects is that this story is an etiology. Etiology is a story that explains something. And normally it explains like place names, but this etiology explains how and why Abram and Sarai got their names changed to Abraham and Sarah. So here is your first thing. We've got a name change going on. Um, and there are a couple of fun other little Hebrew things going on in this text. But I'm going to make a case for expanding the lectionary text for a couple of reasons. Okay, yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah, right. So first off, um, before I get to that, I just want to throw a couple of things out there that I, I think could be sermon angles if you wanted to take them and run with okay. it. In verse six, we have this phrase, And what this means is God will make, God says, I will make you fruitful a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, both of those words, to be made fruitful or to bear fruit, and a lot, a lot, or ma'od, come from Genesis 1. And I find it really interesting that they're used here in this text. Um, Genesis 1 is obviously all about God creating something new, um, something brand new, something from scratch or from murky waters, you know, at best. And it's almost like here in Genesis 17, God is drawing that new creation forward or that God is doing something that is some way in line with or resonant with that first creation. There, God created creation. And here, God is creating a people, starting with this first person, Avraham, or father of a multitude. And we find out that this creation is a big deal because in verse 7, it says this is a berit olam. This is an everlasting covenant with God. And we talked about covenants a few weeks ago with the rainbow, that these are promises. These are legal contracts. And what's so beautiful about this one is it's a legal contract for God to be God mm. to Avraham and Sarah and their children and their descendants. This is um, not just binding the way God will interact with people like it did in the, the rainbow covenant with Noah and humanity and all of creation. This is a covenant that binds God to people in a really intimate way to be their God. Mm -hmm. So right off, just right away, it's a really beautiful text, isn't it? Yeah, totally. So that takes us through verse 7. And then verses 8 to 14 get skipped over. 
in the lectionary text. Um, this is the sign of the covenant, uh, which is established as circumcision. And I'm going to say that it is a pretty big pitfall to skip over reading this text in your church context. To, to cut it off, you might say. Oh, wow. Well, yep, you went there. You went there. <laughs> So uh, I'm guessing that's probably one of the reasons why it is cut out. If we're going to continue with that metaphor, uh, there's a little bit of discomfort that comes from hearing this text read out loud for everybody. But it's really important to have it in there. First of all, it's a major part of the story. And and cutting it out kind of smacks of supersessionism. Like we want the promise aspect, but we want to be able to cleanly pick it up and take it and put it into the New Testament with Jesus. And if we have that circumcision piece in there, it makes it a little more messy or it reminds us a little too much that this wasn't a promise first to Christians. It was first and foremost a promise to people who are um, the ancestors of the Jews. That's an important thing to keep in mind. So if I were you, I would keep this part of the text in there. Yeah, yeah. It's part of the human side of the contract, right? It's it's their responsibility. Mm -hmm. So it also kind of shows the nature of this this covenant. Yeah, yeah, it's not a one-way covenant, exactly. Not to mention that circumcision has its own sort of symbolism embedded in it. And this promise from God about being fruitful and multiplying has to do nice. with the reproductive parts of the body. And so the sign of the covenant also yeah. has to do with the reproductive parts of the body. Not that you'll want to necessarily yeah. go into that in a sermon, but uh, that's, that's part of the exegetical <laughs> network of this, of this passage, for yeah. sure. So that's one part of the text that I would make an argument for keeping in the story. Um, I'm going to also make it a case that you expand the text even a little bit more uh, beyond verse 16, where the Revised Common Lectionary stops as well. Mm. So verses 15 to 16 are nice because we get this little bitty bit about Sarai being included in the covenant. And on its own, that's actually quite lovely. Um, this is the first time in the Abraham-Sarah narrative that God makes explicit that the promised heir will, in fact, come from Sarah and not from anyone else. So that's great. But the lectionary then leaves out the next part of the story, which finishes through verse 22, or really through verse 25, if you're going to take it all the way. And I actually think that that's a big mistake, because I think that that is where the preaching point of the whole text is. Huh. Okay, so, so take us there. Where does it go? All right. So in verse 17, Abraham has heard that God wants to include Sarah in this promise. And he laughs at what God has to say. He laughs at the thought of himself, a hundred-year-old man having a son. But he also laughs at the thought of his wife, 90-year-old Sarah, bearing a son. Now, I don't know about other women out there, really actually anybody who's married, the thought of being laughed at by your spouse for whatever reason doesn't feel good. It feels hurtful. And, and now it's possible that Abraham didn't mean it that way, but that possibility becomes less likely when we move into the next verse, because in the very next verse, Abraham asks God to change the plan. Change your mind, God, Abraham says, just use my son Ishmael that I've had with Hagar. And what's not said, but what's implied is, who needs Sarah in this whole crazy hmm. scheme? And so Sarah, in her husband's eyes, is broken, is less than, is useless, really, an unnecessary part of the plan, especially when we've got this perfectly good son already. Let's just use him. 
And that is hurtful. Yeah. God says no to Abraham. And here's where I think the big preaching point is. This God of the Old Testament chooses as a divine partner the one who is viewed as broken, who is less than, who is useless or an unnecessary part of society. That is the one that God chooses to uplift. That is the one in whom God's will will be done. And that will is to bless the whole entire beautiful broken world, as we remember from Genesis 12. That's the God of the Old Testament. And it is the God who will be on display in a few weeks as broken, as less than, as powerless upon the cross. This roots of the Jesus story go deep, friends, and we see them here encapsulated in the tender and loving way that God folds Sarah into this whole crazy scheme. Yeah, I mean, Sarah is, um, she has her high moments and low moments in this story, but in this moment, she is the marginalized person, and that's where God goes. That's Mm -hmm. where God draws somebody in. Mm -hmm. Can I make another point for including this in the reading? Yeah, go for it. We reinforce the patriarchy when we skip this yeah. because we all know that when this promise is given to the couple, Sarah laughs. We remember that mm-hmm. part of the story, but we often forget Abraham's laughter. And so we, yeah. we chastise Sarah for her lack of faith, but we give Abraham a pass as the sort of exemplar of perfect faith. Yeah. But this part of the story, which is just as much a part of it as the other, shows that as soon as Abraham got the news, got the promise, he laughed just as well. Oh, exactly. Exactly. There are, of course, some pitfalls that I want to bring up. And one of them is is what you already kind of hinted at, Tim, when you said uh, Sarah has an ambivalent role Mm -hmm. in this story. She's not a, a complete victim. In fact, she is an agent of oppression upon Hagar and Ishmael. Um, So don't romanticize Sarah too much. And this is important, especially because of the role that Hagar and Ishmael have played in the black consciousness in America, um, especially in the, you know, since um, the the 20th century. Um, Hagar and Ishmael are typically portrayed as black in artistic portrayals of this text. Hagar was from Egypt and black women have especially connected with Hagar on multiple levels. So you don't want to underestimate that connection, um, nor play off Ishmael as if he's God doesn't choose Ishmael because he's some way less than as well. God refuses to let the reader believe that because God says in verse 20 that he's going to bless Ishmael as well. God's not rejecting Hagar and Ishmael in this text. He's refusing to let Abraham reject Sarah. And if you want to mitigate that pitfall, I would extend the lectionary text through verse 25. So read the whole thing, because there Ishmael is circumcised as well. God is very clear about including Ishmael in the blessing and in the promise, full Mm -hmm. stop. So that's one thing you don't want to do. Um, But one more pitfall is basically what you pointed out too, Tim, um, could also be about Abraham and Sarah's laughter could also be seen in a different way. Um, 
Abraham's laughter here is echoed in the next chapter when Sarah laughs at her old husband's expense. So they actually are neither very kind to each other um, in the whole story. So I don't want to make Abraham out to be too much of a patriarchal oppressor. 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 It's a hard word to say. Because I think that it's a little bit more of a two-way street. Um, These two chapters are suggestive of a couple that have been through a lot, perhaps that have been through too much. And the only laughter that they now know is at the other's expense. And perhaps that's part of what God sees as well. And that whole dynamic, that whole ambivalent part of it gives just a whole nother layer to the name of Isaac, which means laughter. And what you're left wondering is, is what kind of laughter does Isaac represent at that point? Is it the laughter of his parents before his birth? Or has that laughter somehow been transfigured um, when mm-hmm. he comes? So there's just a really beautiful kind of, um, I, it sounds weird to say, but there's a really beautiful story of pain that runs throughout this whole narrative um, that is very real to people's lives. Yeah. There's research out there on laughter and how it is a way of responding to trauma. We could read that in both Sarah and Abram, Abraham's laughter uh, at the promise of a child mm-hmm. in, in light of what they had experienced in their decades. <laughs> but in, in naming the child laughter, Yitzchak, in a way God gets the last laugh. Yeah, that's nice. That's really nice. Uh, And that's just my last couple of thoughts or some practical ideas. Um, It could be real fun in a children's sermon to ask kids what they think God's laughter sounds like, um, to ask them to demonstrate it if they're willing to or just talk about it. What do they think it sounds like when God laughs? And a sermon illustration, if you want, could be to ask about a time when your listeners found their tears turning into laughter. And maybe about a time that they thought God had something to do with it. Uh, Just have them ruminate on that for 30 seconds or so, and then lead into your sermon and see what the Spirit does with it. Excellent. Well, thank you for um, not only giving us insight into the lectionary text, but um, in your characteristic way, drawing us into the fuller story of what's going on there. So (laughs) I I always appreciate that. Thanks, Tim. That was a nice way to say Rachel always adds more verses. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, we are expecting that by this point, you all are laughing at us. So we will, uh, we will leave it there on, on that note and encourage you to join us again next time. You can find our back episodes at the website, firstreadingpodcast.com. And we post stuff all the time over at our Facebook page as well. So you can uh, find that as a place not only to, um, to get our episodes, but also to interact with us in the comments on our Facebook page. Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Thanks for listening. Happy preaching.